Welcome to Trial Lawyer Review, a podcast for and about trial lawyers. We will tell the stories about trial lawyers who go to battle every day in courtrooms throughout the United States for injury victims. This is about their stories and their practices. Hello everyone, I'm Jason Lazarus, your host for Trial Lawyer Review. Thank you for tuning in today for another episode. Trial Lawyer Review is brought to you by Synergy Settlement Services. In full disclosure, I'm not a professional podcaster. Instead, my day job is Chief Executive Officer of Synergy Settlement Services. Synergy allows trial lawyers to focus on what they do best by handling the difficult issues that arise at settlement, like troublesome lien resolution issues, Medicare secondary payer compliance, government benefit preservation techniques, and complex settlement planning. Joining me today on Trial Lawyer Review is Tom Fair. Tom's an award-winning personal injury and product liability trial lawyer. Tom's the founder and CEO of the Torrance-based law firm Fair Law APC. His firm practice focuses on representing people who have been seriously injured with an emphasis on brain, spine, and catastrophic injury cases. Uh, Tom focuses on personal injury and product liability law, although he's going to talk a little bit about some other areas that they handle as well. Uh, At just 39 years old, he has tried over 45 jury trials to verdict and obtained more than $100 million for his clients with multiple seven and eight figure verdicts. He is known for his passion for trying cases and being an advocate for the people uh, and has been honored with Kayla's Rising Star Award in 2018. OCTLA's Young Gun Award in 2017 and CAOC's Street Fighter Award in 2016. Those acronyms give me a hard time sometimes. Uh, He's given lectures, presentations, and workshops on trying cases throughout the country for numerous organizations, including CALA, CAOC, OCTLA, CASD, TBI Med Legal, and Trilores University. Tom graduated from UC Santa Cruz with a BA in poli-sci, philosophy, and psychology, studied at University of Cambridge in the UK, and thereafter obtained his Juris Doctorate degree from Pepperdine University School of Law. Tom, welcome to Trial Law Review. Great to be here with you today. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on. So before getting into um, all the law stuff. There was something that caught my eye about the time that you spent studying in Cambridge. It mentioned study of international politics, world history, and counterintelligence. How did you get interested in all that? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a mouthful, right? Um, you know, I've always been fascinated with a lot of different areas of study. And, you know, you saw my BA. I, I got three of them. I, I almost joke, you know, you have a BA in philosophy political science and psychology and, and three BAs is one BS. Um, but but uh, it, it was a college was sort of a, an amazing time for me. Um, it was a time where I really fell in love with academia and studying all sorts of things. And um, there was a time where I thought I might want to get into foreign policy and potentially, you know, be a diplomat or help try to go into sort of war-torn countries and look at sort of post-conflict resolution. And uh, studying in Cambridge, I said, you know, what sort of better place? This is, um, you know, the UK was a great superpower at, at some point, and, and obviously things had changed. And I sort of fell in love with um, World War One and World War Two history. And going to Cambridge, just sort of the you know, the, the, the culture there and, and the historical, you know, implications of, of what transpired um, in the UK around that time was just really fascinating. And you start to learn things about, you know, double agents. I mean, there was um, KGB agents like the, the Ring of Five that were um, there at Cambridge and, and giving information to the KGB about British intel. And it was just, fascinating to learn about some of the lives of these of these people and and how they got involved and, and also how they um, avoided um, getting assassinated um, and, and being able to do these things and also you know we just had we didn't just have but 9/11 was was still pretty fresh um, so it was something I wanted to, to learn about and just get a better understanding of 
I got my uh, undergraduate degree in psychology, so similar. Uh, although I didn't, I didn't triple uh, triple major <laughs> like you did in undergrad. Uh, but I, you know, one of my biggest regrets was not studying at Oxford when I had the opportunity in law school to do that. They had a program um, at at my law school, and I really regret not going over there and doing that. It's it's an amazing opportunity that that. Um, my kids have taken advantage of, thankfully, uh, to study abroad because I, I really felt like that was such a great thing. It sounds like you had a really incredible experience uh, spending that time there. Yeah, plus there was a pub on campus. So uh, <laughs> right. pl plenty of Guinness, plenty of Guinness. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when I was doing some research on your background, it indicated that you had worked for a U.S. congressman during college. And uh, I was just curious about that experience and what it was like for you and if that had any influence on your decision ultimately to go to law school. Yeah, you know, growing up as an L.A. native, um, you know, what what sort of Hollywood is to theater or not theater, but to to entertainment and, and the film industry. Washington, D.C. is that for politics, right, and, and government. And um, I really took as full advantage of my college uh, tenure and, you know, having gone, having done that exchange program at Cambridge. But I wanted to see what's going on in D.C. I wanted to have an idea as to how policies are made, how uh, legislation, legislation works. And I've always had an interest in law. Um, I've wanted to be a lawyer since I was five years old, um, and it was it was actually just I played ice hockey growing up in LA. So another very uh, you know it's, you don't hear a lot about that, but it was in the heyday of, of Wayne Gretzky and whatnot. And there was kids' fathers who would um, show up to practice wearing suits, and I was like, my dad's a mechanic. Um, and I was like, why why are they wearing suits? And there were quite a few dads who were lawyers, and I said, that's what I want to be, even though I had no idea um, what a lawyer was or, or what a lawyer did. But my, my time in, in Washington was, was great. Um, I got to see lobbyists in action. I got to see um, you know our congressional leaders in action. I got to be part of an office where I really saw how much work the various legislative aides and assistants do to try to get policy done. Um, and they actually put me in responsible, uh, they made me responsible for giving tours of the Capitol, which I might have, uh, I might have messed up a few times <laughs> talking about various, uh, historical landmarks and things, but I, I got the hang of it at some point. Well, so I'm, uh, actually flying to DC tomorrow for actually a little bit of leg legislative work. Um, I'm the president of uh, the National Trade Association for people that do settlement planning. And uh, we have a legislative uh, meeting with our lobbyists. And then I'm speaking at a Medicare conference that's in DC. So I'm gonna be spending the, the rest of this week in DC, which is one of my one of my favorite places in the country. Cause like you, I mean, being a lawyer, it's just, you know, it's got, it's just got that that thing that you know it hooks you in with what what's actually going on in that that power center. So uh, it's I, I wish that I would have had that opportunity uh, when I was an undergrad like you had because that's that's pretty that's pretty special and unique to get to to see that um, in action. Well, it's a, it's amazing that you're going back and, and you're that involved and really trying to make the change that that's needed. And obviously, you can do that and in the court and and you can also do that from a, a legislative standpoint so definitely appreciate your work on that yeah i mean you know it's it's part of our mission obviously you know making sure injury victims are protected and this is this is really part of that it's it's got to do with making sure that their recoveries are protected and you know that's that's a super important part of what we do and obviously you know after after you've fought so hard for a client you want to make sure ultimately that they're taken care of and and they're protected and that's that's what you know this is all about so i love that getting that opportunity and and to being someone that experienced it myself being uh struck by a car uh, while i was cycling um you know i i've been through it so i can speak directly to what it's like to to have that happen to you and have your life upended and so i do think that it's a great opportunity for me to use that as a way to advocate for the people that we serve 
Yeah, and it, it provides you with that empathy too as to as to what they've been through. I hope you're doing okay. I see the cycling uniform in the back, so I, I imagine you've had some success um, doing it. Yeah, I got back to it. it although I, you know, it, there there's something that gets taken away from you. Maybe maybe a little bit of innocence or trust. Uh, you, know, you just become much more attuned to what's going on around you. And I had done it for a really long time. I started when I was a young kid. Although I, like you, I, I actually, the first sport I ever played was ice hockey. I started playing ice hockey when I was five years old because we were living in, in New Jersey. But when we moved to Florida, uh, that sort of came to an end because at that time there wasn't even an ice rink in Orlando. Uh, now now that's changed. But um, I got into cycling at, at, as a teenager and um, competed at a pretty high level and love the sport. But, you know, once you've, once you've been in, involved in something like that, it's hard to, to, you know, go, go about it without having some trepidation. You know, you, you, I spent you know, nine days in the ICU. So, you know, after, after an experience like that, you, you're, you're definitely a bit more cautious. Well, so tell me what, what is at the heart of, your passion for being a trial lawyer. I know you said you wanted to be a lawyer, you know, from a very young age, but you know, what, what is it that motivates you, gets you out of bed every day to do this and fight for people? That's a great question. And, um, having parents who immigrated here from Eastern Europe, um, my father from Hungary, my mom from Romania and my, my mom sort of escaped, um, a dictatorship, a communist dictatorship, and my father was was much older, and um, he was affected by World War II and um, lost um, his his son, and and his mother-in-law was able to to save his his wife. And growing up as a kid, they would share these stories with me um, about what they went through and just the level of injustice, unfairness. Um, oppression, you know what they what they dealt with, um, really had an impact on me. And I know I'm not saving the world and and doing that kind of thing, but something about a person who is being taken advantage of, especially when they're vulnerable. Um, I think life is hard as it is um, for for the. I would say for everybody, there are challenges whether it's balancing work, a family, a career, trying to do these things, there's there's more than enough on, on our plate. And now imagine you've just suffered an injury. And sometimes it could be a rather innocuous one, but it's enough to have a very debilitating effect on your life. And we're, you know, I, I sort of joke, if, if everything was fair, you wouldn't need lawyers, right? If, if everything was just, you, you wouldn't need lawyers because people would be compensated for what they've been through. Um, so when you see somebody being treated unfairly um, or not being compensated, or you've got some expert on the other side that you know is, is not giving the whole truth or is misrepresenting the science or the medicine, I mean, I already have a fire lit in me, so it just makes it burn that much hotter um, and it's, it's that drive, I think, um, to really give people the voice and then the dignity and then the compensation that they deserve. I mean, it, it never goes away. Um, you think maybe, oh, I'd get tired of this and, and I don't. Every time I see something happen to a person that I'm advocating for, it just drives me to, to study their case, to, to basically reveal the truth and then to tell their story if we end up going to a, to a jury to tell that story to, a, to our community. Well, I, I've seen some of your impressive results handling catastrophic complex cases. I, I wanted to ask you about uh, one case in particular because it jumped out at me one, because as I told you, you know, being a cyclist and being struck by a car, um, you know, it, because of the facts involve a cyclist that was struck um, it, it, it was of note to me. So you, you obtained an incredible result. Can you talk about that case and why it was important? Sure. Um, this was back in 2018 and 
I, I think I lived in, I, so I'm out in the South Bay, um, Torrance, um, and we were in um, Orange County, and I actually, I did three trials back to back to back in the Orange County Superior Court. This was the second of the three, and um, we represented a really, really nice kid. I mean, one of the sweetest kids I, I've ever met, and he was in his 20s, and he was riding home on a bicycle, no helmet, wearing flip-flops. I mean, he was from Hawaii, just a, a really carefree, sweet kid, and um, he was riding home, and um, he got hit by a car that was making a left, and um, ended up fracturing a vertebrae in his cervical spine, and sort of the, the impact, if you think about it, um, the the way that it was fractured, that, that vertebrae, it was almost like like a bomb or a grenade had, had gone off in, in his spine and he had shrapnel. I mean, I, I think of it like shrapnel, but little fragments of the bone of the verte of vertebral body just went flying and, and, and nicked a part of his spinal cord, several parts, and he was um, quadriplegic initially and made an amazing recovery was back working within several months, but still had significant issues. I mean, you don't really fully recover from something like that, but he was just, the, the spirit that he had was, was amazing. But, you know, we go into Orange County and, um, you know, we're doing jury selection and a lot of people that ride bicycles are thinking and saying, this would never happen to me. I would have, you know, I would have had a light on or I would have had, um, you know, I would have been more careful. And there was a dispute because we had we had about four witnesses and four witnesses means four different opinions four different things about what they saw some people said he was on the sidewalk some people said he was on the street some people said he was you know riding like you know a demon you know out of, you know just going full throttle mm -hmm. some people said he wasn't um and all these different takes on on what happened that we had to deal with and um you know people have biases naturally right uh, a, a cyclist that rides on the sidewalk versus not or that doesn't have a helmet or or does or is wearing flip-flops or you know there's so so many things but at the end of the day the one thing that hit me was you have four people from all these different perspectives at this intersection and guess what even though they're saying a whole bunch of different things there's one thing they're all saying which is they saw him they saw him before the impact and the one person who actually had an obligation to see him was that driver making a left, right? So, so at the end of the day, this was sort of to me, I was like, it was a, it was an aha moment. It was look, this is I'm not too worried about this, um, and this was something I had to talk about in jury selection. And uh, you know, ironically enough, the, the the people that are cyclists tend to be the hardest or the harshest on the person riding the the bicycle because they. You know, it's a it's a feeling. I would never have put myself in that position. So that was one sort of big wrinkle that we were dealing with in that case. And another one was that the defendant actually passed away during litigation. So the defense, we were suing in a state, and the defense brought the wife, the widow of of this defendant, and she looked, you know, very humble. And the jury, I had to talk to them about that. You know, who really feels you know, uncomfortable that here we are suing an estate and, and it's okay if you do. And so we had a effective jury selection and we had a, a good judge and, um, you know, we were able to, to get a very good verdict for this young man um, who's just, you know, like I said, a, a tremendous human being. And, and it was, it was a tough, hard fought uh, battle, but we were able to, to help him out. So aside from that case, are there any other um, cases that you've handled that you feel are important or influential? I, I would say, you know, they're all, you know, I would say they're all important and, and they're all influential, especially from for the person that is experiencing that. Right. But I, I do understand the, you know, the, the thrust of your question. And, and it was actually a case right after that and i'd had very little time to prepare and it was a products liability case and i had a great co-counsel and i think you know anytime you're trying cases it's to do it by yourself is i'd say almost impossible you always have a team around you and 
to, to be in trial by yourself is very challenging. And so, you know, there's always somebody with me, uh, whether it's somebody I'm co-counseling with or, um, you know, a member of my team. And this was a case against Suzuki. And, you know, my co-counsel was so, he's so, he's brilliant. Um, and he knew the science behind it. And there was all sorts of chemistry and metallurgy uh, as to how these pistons of a, of a brake on these motorcycles were working. And um, I, I, it was all beyond me. Um, and, but I, I, I said, look, if we talk to a jury about all of this science, you know, don't you think a lot of this is going to get lost on them? I'm having a hard time, you know, digesting all of it. And, and what's this case really about? How do we simplify it? And at the end of the day, Suzuki built a motorcycle and knew their brakes didn't work and hid that, hid the fact that their brakes don't work to regulators, to the public and continued to sell them. And, and really that's the case. You got brakes that don't work. Um, and I think cases like that, you know, have the ability to to change when you're, you know, holding a company accountable to change their behavior, to, to think twice about putting, you know, profits, you know, over safety. And it's that classic example of profits over safety, you know, just like with the Pinto case. Um, so products liability cases have that effect. And, and ultimately, you know, we were able to obtain um, a, a verdict and we, we had a client who suffered a broken patella um, and this motorcycle crash and, and his brakes didn't work and the jury um, awarded him just under two million and then another six to seven million in punitive damages against Suzuki and that fight is still going on. I mean there are other cases just like it and, and again keeping it simple and you being a cyclist right um, you know, motorcycles are not too far from, from cyclists and not too far from people's perception of it. I've never, I've never, you know, rode a motorcycle. Uh, I'm, I'm not cool enough. Uh, I'm also, I'm also a little bit scared, um, to do that. And, and, you know, I can understand why and, and jurors on this case, you know, felt the same way, um, and would say things like, you know, he's a motorcyclist, you know, he, he expect, you know, you're, you got what you deserve. I mean, that's sort of the, the harsh things that you hear from jurors, but, but these are gifts, really. You know, you want your jury, you want the community talking to you, talking to you about these things because you don't want some juror on there who doesn't, you know, who's keeping this stuff inside. And then at the end of the day, you know, you get a bad verdict and they said, well, you should have never kept me on, on the jury. And jurors would say this, and, and I was taking it all in, and I was not judging them because, you know, the truth is there's a part of me that feels that way too, right? There's a part of, of, of that in all of us. And, you know, I talked to the jurors, and I just say, well, I, I, I get it. You know, I, I don't ride motorcycles either. I think they're dangerous. But let me ask you this. What do you think would make them more dangerous? You know, and I let them you know, dwell on it for a minute. And I said, you know, what if the brakes don't work? And what if you don't know that? And what if the company that sold you the motorcycle or made it hid that fact from you, you know? And so you're sort of building your case um, in, in jury selection with, with these folks. So that was, uh, that was right after the bicycle case. I jumped right into that one and we, you know, another great outcome. So that was, we were, we were happy for, for our client. I was going to actually ask you, you know, about the cases that you handle in the product liability realm and how do they improve society, but you, you answer that. It's funny because, you know, sometimes when I'm talking to people that ask me about what I do and, you know, I talk about the, the work that trial lawyers do to make our society a safer place and to hold you know, wrongdoers accountable. It's such a great example of what you described, you know, a, a manufacturer making a product in such a way that um, it is defective and then hiding that or there was a recent article I saw about J&J &J, you know creating a, an entity basically to push cancer uh, survivors who are making claims against them into bankruptcy proceedings deliberately trying to limit compensation and you know but for trial lawyers like you who go out and fight uh, the, these these wrongdoers would just simply escape without being held accountable and, and things don't change and things are are less safe. But, you know, by these these legal proceedings and you know, taking on these types of fights, lawyers lawyers are doing 
us a huge service in making sure that you know ultimately things are as safe as they possibly can be. Yeah, absolutely. So um, when you're handling some cases like this where they're a catastrophic injury case, what are the things that you do yourself, top three things to emphasize uh, or to empathize, excuse me, with the clients to make sure that you can communicate their story to the jury to focus on what they've been left with after being injured? Empathy is one of those things that I think is critical for life, um, just for being a good human being. Um, you know, sympathy is kind of saying, hey, sorry you went through that. Whereas empathy is really putting yourself in, in the position of the other person. And I, I think it's important for any relationship, whether it's your spouse or your children or um, people you work with, um, and especially so when you're representing somebody. And the people that I represent sometimes are, are surprised how much I know about their lives. And um, I almost live it, if, if that makes sense. And um, I was exposed in, in high school to a little bit of, of theater and um, you know, some people say, well, are you acting? No, but this idea of, you know, tell that to Daniel Day-Lewis, right? <laughs> are you acting? But, but these, these people really embody um, what somebody's going through. And, and I think what I do is I try to find the person's story in myself. What, what's, you know, and, and I've represented somebody who was a, a young sort of, he was an MMA fighter, but he was somewhat of an entrepreneur in using social media. And this was the time when I was just starting my own firm. And I could really relate to how he was trying to build up his business and and build um, a reputation in the community. So, you know, one part of it is is spending time with the person that you're representing, you know, and learning how how to love them. Um, I think that's that's really critical. And some a lot of personal injury lawyers will talk about some of the the problems with their case, and. I say, one of my mentors is a criminal lawyer, I say, go talk to a criminal lawyer and talk about problems with your case, you know? So I would say top three things is, is get to know the person you're representing, right? Spend time with them, you know, break bread with them, listen to them, um, and then find that story within yourself. And, um, you know, at the same time, learn the facts of the case, you know, learn what they've what they've been through and, and make sure you have a, a good grasp of all of that. And I think those are sort of the, the foundational components to, to being able to empathize and then to tell their story. And the reason I ask is uh, empathy is, is one of our core corporate values here. And I use what I went through in my personal injury uh, case to give people an idea of what clients have gone through when they wind up needing synergy services and as a way to try and hopefully allow those people to be empathetic and, and understand the opportunity and privilege we have to be a part of you know, hopefully improving their life in some small way, either by getting them more money in their pocket or protecting their recovery in some way or protecting their benefits, their government benefits. So, uh, yeah, that, that concept of empathy, I think, is really important across all aspects of, of this area, you know, from trial lawyers to the people that get the opportunity to work with clients after they've settled their cases, because it really is, you know, someone that's vulnerable. They, they've been through something usually pretty devastating to their lives and could be to their families, too. So making sure that we're doing everything we possibly can to understand that and, and do our best to to you know, improve their lives for me is really an important part of our, our mission and what we do every day. Yeah, it's a, it's a great thing. So I, I noticed um, that you um, got involved with uh, the Spence Trial Lawyer College back in 2013. I was just curious about how you got involved and why that's important to you. I, um, I actually heard the name Jerry Spence um, in college in a social psychology um, book, and I, I loved social psychology. It was just 
fascinating area of study and um, I read about him and I thought this seems like a pretty amazing trial lawyer and I learned a little bit more about him and then when I um, when I graduated law school and I got a job I had always wanted to I wanted to go learn from him and it was 2013 that I, I went to the college for three weeks um, and you know, Jerry's in his 80s at the time and and so um, you know we didn't have that much exposure to him but there were a lot of good instructors there that you know embodied what what he would teach and how he would teach and it was it's it was an experience where you know you're you're in you're in Wyoming you're not supposed to use a cell phone or, or, or you're supposed to disconnect, right? And you're there for three weeks. And it's kind of nice to be able to disconnect from the world that we, you know, that we live in. And I'm not saying go be a transcendentalist like, Rol, or, you know, like, like you know, um, was it, Rol, uh, uh, I can't think of the name right now, but Emerson, Waldo Emerson, I, I want to say, here I am bungling this. But I, I think disconnecting is a way to connect, right? That the sort of paradox of that is, um, is I think we need that as human beings. And this gave me an opportunity to do that and to learn a lot about myself. Um, and this is sort of the one of the fundamental sort of components to what Jerry teaches and, and the folks there is that you know you have to really understand yourself in order to tell these stories about other people and you have to be open with yourself and you have to be vulnerable and you have to recognize your own biases and, and the things that may actually be um, self-limiting um, in your ability to open up and be vulnerable um, with people and so that was sort of a, a foundational um, lesson uh, that that I learned there and I thought that I mean ultimately it changed the way that I that I practiced the way that I that I tried cases and uh, I don't know if everyone has the same experience but a lot of my colleagues or peers that have gone there have shared that sort of same sentiment um, that that that's what it did for them and I ultimately I went back the year after and um, I did a graduate program there and then um, last year, um, I taught at uh, the Jerry Spence method. So we call it the ranch, um, going back there. So I had an opportunity to spend time with students and, and teach. And it was another just wonderful, wonderful experience and in, in connecting with other trial lawyers. And, you know, one of the things in, I think this happens in life and especially as a trial lawyer is you may, you can feel like you're alone at times. Um, I mean, you could talk to anybody, right? You could talk to somebody who's, uh, you know, a mother who's um, having their first child or even their second and, and trying to raise a child and it can feel really lonely at times. And then once you start talking to other people that are going through the same thing, you realize, oh, we're not alone in this. And it's a, it's a, it's a very nice feeling. Um, it's, a, it's a way of connecting. It's a, it's a way of, of validation and it's a way to to gain strength through these processes and, and to learn from it so it's it's a very human aspect of, of our existence and and it was great for me i also uh saw that you're involved with la tlc and i'm i'm very familiar with it uh it's a wonderful organization um how are you involved with it and and why I got involved pretty early, um, and it was I became a board member, and now I'm um, uh, sort of they've retired me to some extent. I've, um, Emer uh, I'm a, I'm an Emirates member, um, so it feels almost like you know the the old professor. But um, the the way that I got involved was just that they were out in the community, and so it wasn't just this organization where you're just donating money although that is very important you know um, but it was literally going to a woman's shelter in downtown Los Angeles and making food and serving food 
and spending time with these people and sometimes you know we don't realize just the impact you can have on someone's life with something as as simple as as a smile a warm hello um just listening to somebody you know giving them your ear um that can have a huge effect on somebody because it shows that hey there's somebody out there that that cares and LATLC was doing this and is doing this and they're only growing and, and doing more and more of it you know and I just remember you know painting houses in, in Venice and and trying to you know spruce them up or, or you know going to a, a after-school kids program and spending time with kids and so being able to actually be involved in the community and and helping in the community that's what really drew me towards this organization and then it was trial lawyers that were that were you know we were we were doing it which was cool so i was i was there with my with my colleagues all my fellow brothers and sisters who are trial lawyers and and we were there in the community and and it made it fun and it was it was very rewarding um so you know something that that i i really love i think there was even one time i, I dressed up as as clifford the red dog and had all sorts of face paint on me after was, i mean but it, it's it's fun and it, it, it's just a, a very gives you a very warm feeling um, to be able to be involved in something like that yeah it's a great opportunity to give back and great organization from all the things i've seen that they do and our not-for-profit foundation has been involved with with that organization as well so definitely love seeing the work that it does and uh, the help that it provides to those people um, so uh, you've really built a pretty incredibly successful practice at a young age what is one tip you would give other trial lawyers that's part of your secret to success in building your practice uh, this is just my classic it's hard work <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it, it is at the end of the day it is it is hard work and um, I I think sometimes you have to tune out the noise you know um, and you have to focus on on what you believe is important um, and sometimes that may that means making tough decisions um, but it, I think at the end of the day it goes back to some of the things we, we did already talk about and it's treating people the right way and um, and I think that's just so important because we're, we're we are a community and it's it's a smaller community than a lot of people you know I mean I think people know that but you know it's taking care of each other it's being supportive of each other I don't think that I could have built um, what I have built and and I don't think I would have had this success had it not been for countless other people who have supported me along the way who have mentored me along the way who have you know they, they have no reason they never asked for anything in return they just wanted to help me succeed and so that's a big part of what i do is i try to give back constantly the things that i that i learned and that 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 i've gained from the experiences that i've had so i'm constantly talking to other attorneys or to law students and sharing whatever i have um, i think that's just so important to pay it forward so that we can, you know, make all of you, you know, all of us better at this, and and better, you know, better representatives, better, um, better human beings. Um, any way that we can do that, and I, I think that's just a big part of it is is being supportive of one another, um, and being there for each other. I think that's just something to never lose sight of. I mean, it's, it's interesting the the idea of relying on the community, right? The, the you know, there's so much power in that. And I've seen it, you know, on the listservs that I'm a part of with trial lawyers that there, there really is this, you know, professionalism that, you know, extends to, well, you know, what can I do to help your practice? Even though there is some competitive nature for you guys, but still it's, you know, you see it in, you know, when you go to these events, like if you go to Spence's trial lawyer college or you're, you know, working hand-in-hand uh, -hand LATLC I mean all those things so you know I think that's different a little bit different from hard work obviously hard work is, is what gets you there but you know really having that ability to tap into the resources around you is is pretty important I, I know that's been very important in 
the kind of building what we've built here at Synergy as well. Yeah, I, I think you know, the, if you're a trialer, you're, you're probably competitive. Um, or if you're running your own business, you probably are competitive, right? I mean, I see the the cycling. We talked about your, your cycling, but you know, it's. I think it's a natural thing, and I think competition is good. Um, people should have should be competitive, and it, it drives you to be better. And maybe it, it means you don't necessarily are looking at what the other person is doing, but just make sure you're getting better each day, right? Compete yeah. with yourself. So a couple more questions. Uh, so just curious about your background. It says Bear Den. What, what is that? <laughs> so uh, at some point, I don't know exactly when, um, uh, I developed the, the sort of moniker or nickname Fair Bear. Um, but I, I was probably a bit huskier at the time. I've never been a, a spelt guy. <laughs> um, and uh, my wife, uh, when we first met, um, she called me honey bear. Um, I, since then I've lost the honey part, unfortunately. So just, uh, just bear. Um, but it's been, it, it's sort of been a name that, that's stuck. And then, you know, my last name's fair. And so it sort of just has a little, little ring to it. And I, I like it though. And it, I like it for a couple reasons, but I think about just what I do and there is a part of me, you know, when we're dealing with with the people that we represent, I do think, you know, I'd like to see myself more as, you know, that that cuddly, nice teddy bear, right? And and I think that part does come out, right? But then sometimes, you know, when you're dealing with an insurance company or you're dealing with an expert that is is not being truthful. Um, it's okay to be a little grizzly and, but I, and I don't mean that, I don't mean, you know, that you have to go and be, um, mean or angry. That's, I don't think that those are the same things, but I think, you know, it's a time where you have to, you know, really go to battle. Um, and I, I would actually, to other trial lawyers, I, I, I think a lot of them would agree, you know, you definitely don't want to be the angry person in, in the courtroom. I don't think that's an effective way of cross-examining a, a witness, you know, um, I think there's, you're a lot more effective when you're there and you're calm and composed and sort of anger, you know, is, is an emotion that I think somewhat surface level and really what's underneath anger is, is fear. Um, so it's, it's just being, being able to hold those two positions, right? You can you can definitely care a lot and and take care of people, but when you need to go and be a warrior and and go out to to battle, and I know I'm using these sort of metaphors, but it, it can seem like a battle at times. Um, you know, you're able to do that, and I, and I think that's important. So now you've got a, a few different areas of specialty. Do you wind up co-counseling a lot of cases with other lawyers? Yeah, you know, a lot of our practice is other attorneys um, working with us and um, bringing us in to try cases with them. Um, and we've really done a lot of, you know, injury cases and, and we started getting more and more cases that are outside of, of the world of personal injury and employment cases. Um, financial elder abuse cases, civil rights cases, um, even business cases where, you know, you've got a big company and in, in a sort of a mom and pop shop or a smaller company and the big company's doing some bad stuff to, to the little company. And so um, at the end of the day, one of the beautiful things about being a trial lawyer is you're here to tell a story about what happened and, and something went wrong. Some trust was broken or somebody did something really wrong and it's not something that's that's only at the at the level of, of or in the arena of personal injury it's in it's all over right and we experience wrongs in in various aspects of our life and so being able to tell that story it's it's sort of unit these are universal stories right they're they're, they're stories of, of of humanity um i mean the great the, the, the great stories that we read or the movies that we see, 
or the poems that we read, right? They, they, they hit us because they touch upon something very basic. And so we've been very fortunate to have um, attorneys in the community who trust our ability to, to try cases and to, to understand the nuances of different areas of law. And so we've been brought on cases that um, are not personal injury related. And we've had some really good success with them. And at the end of the day, it's has somebody been wronged and, and is there something that we can do to help make that right? And obviously there are, are things that may be outside of our wheelhouse and you know, we work with the the appropriate experts. I mean, somebody may be a civil rights guru, and you know, we're gonna we're gonna work with them. Or somebody may be, you know, just very very well versed in in probate matters, and you're dealing with testamentary capacity or a, a trustee or power of attorney that has taken advantage of of an elderly you know man or woman and has siphoned off millions of dollars of assets. Right. And so, you know, we always um, are looking to work together with, you know, in a collaborative way with other attorneys. And, and we think that's that's what is sort of the most fun. Right. Is being able to work with a team, having that synergy, feeding off of each other, um, you know, inspiring each other to, to be creative in, in what we're doing. And, and then at the end of the day, all for for a good cause. So couple more questions as we wrap up. Uh, next one's a little self-serving, but I always ask it of our guests on the podcast. So when you're settling uh, a personal injury case, what are the most difficult issues that you are facing? Is it lien resolution, Medicare related issues, government benefits, how to protect the recovery? Just curious what you find challenging these days. Uh, you know, liens are always something uh, that can be a challenge, especially, you know, if you're dealing with ERISA liens um, and or if you don't have a, a lien department. I mean, some of these firms are you know amazing. They've got lien departments. Um, but for attorneys that, you know, I know when I just started out, it was it was me. <laughs> um, so being able to to work with um, others, you know, like yourself and I have the opportunity to do that. Um, has been helpful, right? Because sometimes it's just too much. And uh, you know how we talked about this is a community and we do rely on, on different people to, to help out that have an expertise in those areas. And I think, you know, negotiating liens can always be an issue and we, we try to manage um, expectations. You know, obviously when we have a recovery for a client, we wanna make sure that the most amount of money, you know, goes in their pocket, um, and lien resolution, whether it's, you know, Medicare, Medi-Cal, ERISA, or it's a, a, a lien from, from a, a doctor, you know, we want to be able to work, um, work out something that's fair for for everybody, um, but that can be a challenge. It can hold up things at times, you know. I do think that's one of the things, but. You know, right now, with we're still not sort of back to normal um, because of COVID, and you know, one of the things that is challenging is not having firm trial dates. Period to get things resolved. So that you know, trial dates make um, insurance companies and, and corporations uh, you know want to resolve things. So you know, I'm looking forward to you know. For things to continue to move in the direction of, of getting back to where they were and and i do think we're headed there yeah yeah we've definitely seen that the impact of covid with trials not hanging over the heads of defendants uh, some of the cases that normally would have settled just haven't settled or have taken longer to settle so yeah but like you said hopefully it seems things are headed in the right direction and we'll have to see how how that plays out uh, so uh, last question, and this is open-ended, so you answer it however you want. And since it's the Trial Lawyer View podcast, the question is, what is your view as a trial lawyer? We have a great responsibility um, as trial lawyers um, to to serve the people that you know we represent and uh, to do a good job and. We also, you know, there's a, there has been a pejorative or just, you know, the trial lawyers are somehow, 
you know, bad. I know that 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 has been something in the in the community before, or that they're Sue happy, and um, you know, there's there's some negative connotations that go with it. And so I think it's our responsibility um, to do the work um, that that shows that that's not the case. I mean, it's it's one thing, you know, to to speak about it, but it's a it's a different thing to be about it, right? And so. I think trial lawyers need to continue to be out there in the community, continue to make a difference, to, to help others, to help each other. It, it doesn't, you know, do us any good when, when you know, certain lawyers are, are not um, doing the right thing. Um, and so we all have to lead by, by example. And I think, again, I, I love the, you know, one of the themes of, of your company, which is, which is empathy and leading as much with love as possible. Um, and I think that has to be a part of your life as a, as a trial lawyer um, and having the courage to stand up for, for the things that are, that are right and working with others um, constantly. I mean, I'm on the phone all the time asking for advice or giving advice, one or the other. Um, I think it goes both ways. Um, so I think there's just a great responsibility um, when you're a trial lawyer and, and we should welcome that. Great message to end on. Uh, thanks for joining me today, Tom, appreciate it. Um, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, what is the best way to, to reach out to you? You know, I'm very, even I'm, I'm always on my cell phone. Um, that's the easiest way to, to get a hold of me and um, you can text or call me. I'm sure my voicemail is always full, um, but uh, that's the best way. And you know, I have no problem giving it out. It's it's eight one eight five two two eight eight six zero, and that eight one eight area code is from a very long time ago. So you know, I'm I'm from um, the Valley and North Hollywood, um, or email Tom at fairlawfirm.com, um, and uh, I'm always happy to talk to anybody. Uh, with any questions or, or help out any way I can. We'll include all of Tom's contact information with this podcast episode when it's posted on the website. Thank you everybody for tuning in to this episode of Trial Law Review and see you on the next one. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to Trial Law Review. You can find more at triallawreview.com and look for more episodes and more content coming in the future.